I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me as host of the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted and on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show Paranormal Caught on Camera. So we got a big episode this week, and I really couldn't be happier about it. Way back in February, February 1st, actually, I saw Evil Dead Rise. This is the fifth installment of the Evil Dead franchise. This film stands on its own as opposed to... Is It's a separate story from Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi projects like Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV series, and it stands on its own separate from the 2013 Fede Alvarez Evil Dead movie. And so I saw this back in February, and I couldn't talk about it. I, I did some interviews for it that were held for a while, and then they were printed in the Den of Geek South by Southwest print edition, and but overall, I was just uh, had a gag order. But now we could talk about it. And directed by Irish filmmaker Lee Cronin, also behind the really, really solid flick, The Hole in the Ground, Evil Dead Rise moves the action in the Book of the Dead to a rundown L.A. apartment building and focuses on a family of a single mom with young kids. And the mom is played by Alyssa Sutherland and her name is Ellie. And also, she has an estranged sister, played by Lily Sullivan, who plays Beth. Now, even if the cabin is mostly absent from this story, Evil Dead Rise fits within the series continuity, because Cronin will talk to us a bit about this scene in Army of Darkness, where Ash, played by Bruce Campbell, of course, encounters three books bound in flesh— and that concept stuck with Lee, and that became the origin for Evil Dead Rise, which really connected with Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi and producer Rob Tapper. So what Lee has done here is tell a fun-filled horror flick. It's got a lot of gooey gore, a lot of cringe-tastic sight gags. It is horror, but it's not torture porn level. It's exactly what you want in an Evil Dead movie. And it has a seal of approval from executive producers of Tapper, Campbell, and Ramey. So today we're going to dive in with interviews with Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan and Lee Cronin. And these were recorded in early February. And then, then on Friday of this week, we're going to post another chat with director Lee Cronin that I had just last week as we were leading up to the opening of Evil Dead Rise on April 21st. So... Without further ado, let's get to it. Here is Lee Cronin, director of Evil Dead Rise. Uh, Lee, thanks so much for chatting with me. Um, I did get a chance to see the movie, really enjoyed it. And as someone that is a uh, grew up essentially with the the original Evil uh, Evil Dead's, like this was just a really nice evolution. So I guess my first question for you is talk about the evolution of the franchise um i know you've said that this is exists within the universe mm -hmm. how do you view it within the universe so 
in, like, do you want me to talk a bit, a little bit about the evolution first in terms of how we got there? Or yeah, yeah, yeah both, so, please. Like, like I think from an evolution point of view, look, like, um, and I think I've probably stated this a few times before. I'm an Evil Dead fan from childhood, um, and it was always taken in the back of my mind as I was looking towards a career in filmmaking that I would love the opportunity to make an Evil Dead movie, especially when there was a reboot done in 2013 and 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 that platform was there to to tell more stories. Um, from my perspective, when I first engaged with Sam Raimi on it, I was obviously humbled and flattered that that they were expressing an interest in my talents and what I might be able to do with Evil Dead. But it was definitely important for me from the get-go that I needed to take it somewhere new because I wanted to hopefully create an experience where people, younger people that haven't connected with the franchise in the past have an opportunity to, to step in and experience this new, exciting, you know, gore fest um, and, and this this roller coaster ride of of, of horror. Um, and I just knew I needed a different angle and it needed a different color and it needed a little bit of a different temperature. And for me, that meant if you're going to change it up, you've really got to change it up. So it felt natural to me to bring it into, uh, you know, in, into the now in a lot of ways, and then also to, to shift that location. Because I think, you know, Army of Darkness aside, which is the continuation of a story, it, like, you know, Evil Dead is, the, is one of the OG Cabin in the Wood teenager stories. And I just thought it'd be very interesting if we could take the malevolence of the deadites, the malevolence of the evil force and bring it into um, bring it into the city and bring it in front of a family. And I think placing horror in recognizable domestic circumstances is often a really great shortcut to connect with an audience. It's something I'm always drawn to. So my natural instinct was always going to take me to a place probably with family, maybe with kids and into that space. And, you know, Sam, Rob, Bruce, um, you know, being the, uh, the protectors of all that is evil dead they were just on board instantly and really liked that idea and liked taking it into that into that space and in doing so i remember i, I spoke to sam and sam's attitude was like you do you know use your instincts you do what you do um just make sure there's like scary deadites and you know and use the book and and kind of have at it from there and i suppose it like the way that i looked at it and again being a fan i think you know the movie has a lot of Easter eggs in, in in the film that like subtle callbacks, some some less subtle. So th I think there's a lot of um, tonal familiarity um, that's there in place. But in terms of then that kind of direct connection, like, and it was one of the things that when I spoke to the guys early on, I said, there's three books in the Evil Dead world because they're there in Army of Darkness. And, um, you know, there's one book in Sam Raimi's world. There was another book in Fede's world. And I want to take that third book. And it's referenced in the movie, that connection and that understanding that there are three of these books in the world. And for me, what I wanted to do was create it in a way and show a pathway that not only could you have a great horror experience, but actually open up the door for more Evil Dead stories moving forward by by by, by changing it up. So then would you view this as these three volumes? Are they are these three separate multiverse? Is this all one multiverse and three different uh, universes? No, I think I think it's all in the same world. And there's like to me, it's it's actually simpler than that. It's all in the same world, and these books have existed in different ways. And I was kind of really intrigued by the idea of there being like they are different books, and they might have slightly different um, edges to them in terms of what they can do. And there's even like a little subtle change or two into the um, the incantation when it's read. So to me, it's that there was more than one copy, you know, like 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 in a weird way, like different copies, like di different versions of the Bible, different gospels, but telling a very very familiar story. Yeah, just for reference, because you know, watching it in a 
in a, you know, a darkened theater, you're obviously wanting to engage with it and be involved. So maybe missing some notes periodically. Do you refer to it as the Necronomicon or the Ex Mortem? Necronomicon. Okay. Um, for, for my money. I, I love the Book of the Dead. I just, I, I always love the directness of calling it the Book of the Dead. Yeah. Um, the, just as far as this setting, there was something that I connected to very personally. Having lived in New York City um, for a long time, I was in New York in 2012 when there was a hurricane where I was in a high rise, 16th floor, power was knocked out for 10 days and there was uh, not significant interior lighting. And so yeah. I relate to that setting. Is there something from your life personally where you're like, I know what that is like to be in this rundown yet modern building and realizing how close we are to to uh our own downfall yeah i think they're, they're, it's a really good question um and there's definitely something personal there it's it's as much as it's personal it's more an observation on the world and i know at the end of the day an evil dead movie is about entertainment it's about horror it's about all of these things but i i, I did want to bring and I'm really glad you touched on it, just that some familiarity and some metaphor into play as well. And I think the world that we live in, you know, housing is housing is tricky. People live in older places. People can't necessarily move up in the world, get on the ladder. And you're also living in these increasingly small spaces and you've got people above you and beside you and below you and around you. And you might not even know who they are. And I think that's always a really interesting place to look into. And then what if in that already squeezed world, because this family in the story are obviously under pressure, the building is going to get knocked down. They need to move. So that's you know always a really really tricky thing, and um, and what happens when you're already in that in in that world and and horror knocks on your door something like even more spectacular and malevolent. So there's 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 two strands to it. To me, there's the ability to get an audience to identify, which you have done, which is great because I feel like that that's something I wanted to put out there. So many of us live in apartments, like live in these boxes. Um, and I think it's it's really interesting when the thoughts of, you know, it's not your own front door. So your door is into a world that's shared with other people. And then if there's something out there or something lurking in that building that can make that even more uncomfortable, it just to me felt like a really fertile place to, to go and tell the story. Really effectively done, too. We have this, uh, the origins of this book, we discover this church in a... Uh, and the hole in the ground, if you'll permit me. And uh, I was curious if, go there. if there was more of a backstory that you you fleshed out, uh, again, perhaps a pun based on the book, but is there a, a, a backstory with that church, with that whole subterranean area that you kind of built out, even if it didn't make it on screen? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's really important in the writing process to understand like where you're coming from and where your ideas are. So in my mind, and it's it's quite nuanced in fact, so it's I'm more than happy, of course, to talk backstory and things that don't always make it all the way to the screen in terms of, 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 of telling, telling your tale. But to me, you know, I'm Irish. I was raised a Catholic. I'm not practicing, but, you know, I understand that world. And I always felt, you know, if there was books of power out there for good or bad, that the Catholic Church would probably want to try and get their hands on one to explore. So that was a thought that was in my head really, really early on. And then I started to think about um, how that might function, how that might operate, how they might behave if they did have something like that, how they would research with it. And around the same time as I was thinking this, I read this article um, about old bank vaults in Ireland and how there's a certain time limit that gets hit that if people have you know like lock boxes and all these various things that if they were to open those lock like basically not quite like a statute of limitation but like that idea that 
whatever belongs in the is in those boxes now belongs to the state belongs to the people mm-hmm. and um it just spawned this idea of wow imagine opening one of those boxes and there could be like crazy old currency there could be a gun there could be you know a piece of history that was missing in some way shape or form so i actually just loved the idea that this building which used to be a bank would have had many vaults but there was this there was this secret vault and it belonged to the church and they kept dangerous and valuable things down there and it's been forgotten about over the course of history and then it's br- it's brought back to life and it's always really interesting to think about the evil that could be just under the surface and it's interesting you mentioned the hole in the ground but we, you know we 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 don't know it's like you could buy a farm be living there and you don't know there's a dead body under your floorboards but you've 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 got no idea and i always like those little potential coincidences or dark things that could exist in the world yeah well, you know, it's which, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, especially very wealthy people that get caught up in very dark things. It's, uh, you know, it's like the uh, the building in Ghostbusters, you know, uh-huh. exactly. the uh, and and did you. Appro- so first off, you have a really great cast here. Did you approach uh, Lily Sullivan's Beth? She she's seems like a screw up in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, And we see from the trailer. You know, we we see Chainsaw and everything. Did you approach her as a kind of a proto-Ash or were the similarities and even down to the the color, was that, I mean, these had to be intentional choices. Absolutely. Like nothing nothing is unintentional, especially when you're building out um, a new character that's going to pick up the chainsaw and wear that mantle. I think it was important that she was different. I think one of the interesting things, I remember having this discussion with Rob Tappert, which was, she should be an imperfect hero. And I kind of knew that myself instinctively. But when you look back into Evil Dead, like, and I think Beth is a different character to this, but like Ash, if you actually go back and watch, you know, the original, like he's not actually the hero right away. He's not necessarily even the lead. There's a kind of a, a transference to him and he's not perfect. And I think even when you see with Beth, I, I, I it's, when I say an imperfect hero, you know, she's not an action hero. She doesn't necessarily know exactly how to use a gun. So even when she fires a gun, you know, she throws her off balance. It's like, I think all of those things add to making her feel real. And one of the things I wanted to do in this movie was make sure not just Beth, but all the characters breathed as real and that you kind of got to know them in a way. And I think that allows the horror to be more powerful than on the other side. But I never thought about her as trying to replace Ash. I just thought her about thought about her as somebody new who has a certain pressure on her shoulders She's a person that's lived on the road um, and she's returning to family wondering, is it her time to actually settle down or what will she do? Does she have the strength and power to be that kind of person reflecting on who her sister is as as, as a, a valuable and powerful mother? And then what she faces is actually the perversion of all of that power, which which I thought was just like a really nice, interesting way to carry a simple metaphor in the story. And I always bring it back and say, like I know what an Evil Dead movie is, and it's it's, and I wanted to deliver that experience, which is bring you in, wind you up, and then punch you in the face for an hour. But the more we know about people before that happens, the more effective I think the horror can be. Do you, do you view her as her story is complete, and then the book ends up with someone else? The curse, the you know the the curse moves on to someone else, or is she an ongoing hero? I have a I have a sequel idea in mind that's like the 20 minutes after story that includes Beth, uh, that includes Cassie. Um, but equally, there's also a world where the cleanup crew arrive at that building and get a call, what the hell has happened here, and could get pulled into that world. And 
an earlier question we spoke about that that a little bit it was intentional i was never trying to bait for sequels and it was really great working with new line um, who are so successful in the horror space and there was like make a great movie you know like that's the goal you make a great movie and we'll see where it goes but i definitely in my mind left open two three four avenues of story and one of those includes beth and that's why she picks up the chainsaw at the end it's not by mistake because she has survived this process and again that might be too spoilery um I'll, I'll let you know you guys figure that out but there's a reason she picks up the chain let's put it another way there's a reason beth picks up the chainsaw in the movie full stop and it's not for her story to just end when the credits roll right you also have some other uh callbacks uh homages to other movies i mean well i mentioned like sort of the building reminded me of ghostbusters but also there's a lot of we have the shining we have the thing yeah. there's some yeah. other things happening here were you um was this an immediate uh, when you knew you were setting this in this apartment building uh was it an immediate thought that like okay i have a i have an elevator and a blood scene here yeah it was it was it was definitely an early one and i will never hide from the influence that the shining had you know on me as a movie what was really exciting was that i could and it's it's what i always thought it's like in the shining like a lot of blood comes out of the elevator right but like you know maybe i'll show something that actually happens inside that elevator like what happens before that moment um but yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the things I love about genre, one of the things I love about horror is it the fact that it can, it can, it can reference in so many different directions and feel fresh. And, you know, again, as 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 a horror movie fan, I enjoy that. And then as a writer and as a director, I also enjoy that process. Um, but it's never about aping anything. It's always about does it actually fit in with your story? Does it fit in with your world and does it fit in with your characters? But all of those things you touched on from Ghostbusters to the thing. The Shining, like they're all movies that had huge influence on me when I was younger. So, you, you know, you can never escape those influences. They exist in your DNA. Yeah. Um, and they come out whether you want to control them or not. Well, enough that um, I think there's a couple great staples in this film that are going to leave an impact on people. And I'm uh, almost without, you know, asking the question too directly. I don't know. What's what's the takeaway? Are people going to be talking about cheese graters or eyeballs more? I hope they're talking about it all. I hope there's people sitting at a table. I, I hope that they're all having their favorite moment. Um, and then I hope they're talking about going to watch it again for that very reason. So it's, yeah, I think I knew I wanted to populate it with, to use that phrase, gags. Like I wanted it to be those memorable things, both through the action, but also through some of the dialogue as well. Because I think there's probably more deadite dialogue in this movie than there ever has been before. But I, the allowance for that to happen was the context of the story, right? So it was related to the fact that we had these characters that had intimacies that are family um, and that it's, you know, the evil has come right inside their home. It gave that platform and it was fun. Like I remember writing it and I remember like sitting down and like, you know, I wrote a lot of the movie on my bed during COVID. I don't know why this was a movie I wrote on my bed. It wasn't good for my back, but that's, that's where it took me. It was like being in the bedroom as opposed to being in my office. It was just something about being at home and writing that story. So I'd often be thinking about something. And I remember walking into my kitchen and being like, we're going to have, we're going to have a kitchen scene. There's going to be domestic things. And yeah, the cheese grater was sitting there and I was like, you know what? I haven't seen that used a whole lot before. And I certainly haven't seen it used this way. Um, and it was, it was a natural, it was, it was a natural thing. And then with something like, you know, an eyeball in the movie, like that's just one of my favorite moments. And I just wanted to do a little twist and a little different play on how we'd seen that before. Um, but whilst it's fresh, there's also familiarities there for the fans. Yeah. Um, it that got me that the, I think I was drinking a, a coffee 
when that scene was happening. I'm like, okay, but it's a good thing when you're having that response, you know? So I I quite, I quite enjoyed that. The, uh, and yeah, speaking of the dialogue, first off, um, the, uh, uh, we have the, I'm, I'm flaking now on the other actress's name. Um, Alyssa Sutherland. Alyssa Sutherland who plays, uh, yeah, she, she's, her character is great. And, someone that really is is great with those p- physical performances what can you tell us about the um the voice of the deadites um is who who did you have doing that well they do have some great lines too some really great one-liners that were coming out of this i hope i hope they make it to t-shirts some of those lines That's oh my god they're, they're so ready for the t-shirts the um and then it's in the trailer the mommies with the maggots now that's a great one like the the, the there's just so many great lines where i'm like oh yeah that's that's a line that's a catchphrase but i think i think yeah i think titty sucking parasites will stick oh, the, yeah. uh, the so just in relation to the voices like like the majority of what you hear is you know from a dead eye point of view is that cast that worked through multiple different sessions of of adr on the day performance and then, you know, the necessary work that was done with my sound designer, Peter Albrechtson. Um, and we would support some of those vocals with, with other sounds. Um, I always wanted there to be a quality in the Deadites where there is just that little hint of familiarity at times and that ever-changing. It's almost like I, I often think about um, something like Men in Black where, like, somebody acting in the flesh as a human is trying to, like, keep that alien swallowed down. And I saw something similar in that idea of the possession because the goal, what I love about the Deadites as well, is they want to have fun. They want to toy. They want to play. You know, they could rock up and just wipe you out however they want. Um, and in doing that, as part of that play, they're going to want to appear more normal or be able to try and, you know, coax somebody through the throwing of their voice or however they yeah. behave. But, you know, it's it's never a one-size-fits-all thing, dude. There was a lot of different approaches. And I think if you, you know, hopefully you see the movie again, you'll see there is a pattern to the times and maybe like a little bit more rage carries the voice in a different way versus the, the want to like coup in a certain way to attract a character towards them or pull somebody into danger. The it's, and this is almost like a trait question at this point, but then people want you to ask the question about the state of horror right now, but you are, you're a really great person to ask having come from the hole in the ground. And now you have this franchise flick. Um, how would you define the state of horror right now? And then I guess the, the, Second part of that is, is horror getting its due within the mainstream, within the awards bodies, et cetera? Yeah, there's a bit to unpick, unpick there. I think, look, the headline is the state of horror is, you know, it's healthier than it's ever been. Um, I think it played a huge part in resurgence at the box office. There's been some fantastic movies. And we all know, like, every aspect of, of a genre, whether it be comedy or horror, like, you know, it ebbs and flows and it comes in waves. But it feels like we are right in the midst of something very exciting right now. There's a lot of really great new voices and people telling interesting stories. One, one observation I have, and I remember thinking it when I was making the movie, or at least I was hoping when I was making the movie. And there was a trend, obviously, towards the more existential and um, the more psychological i made a movie in that space at that time with the hole in the ground and i love the psychological aspect of things in fact one of the things i love about evil dead is that there is psychological warfare going on between somebody that's possessed and somebody that's not it's like a really powerful thing it's what differentiates the deadites from zombie it's zombies you know it's that it's that ability to actually like think and dictate and 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 toy um but but what's interesting when i was making the movie i was thinking 
I wonder if this existential thing is maybe peaking. And I was hoping with COVID and all that lockdown and people were viewing at home. And I thought, I hope I'm making a movie that the world is open again and you can go buy a popcorn, buy your candy, buy a drink and just go in and have a good time with a horror movie um, and not necessarily have to like, like over, overthink the themes, overthink the metaphors, just have something that's pure experiential. That was really, really important. And what's interesting is I'm feeling with the success, the movies that are really successful in the horror space at the box office right now, um, they have something uh, in, in common, I think, with Evil Dead Rise, totally very different, but they're leaning back into the experience and the entertainment factor and, and creating these little moments that people want to talk about at the water cooler. So if the cheese grater does that, if an eyeball does that, if a great line does that, it just creates that little bit of experience where people leave the theater and talk and talk. And then that's driving more people to go and watch these movies than is, than is typically the case. And then look, dude, straight up when it comes to awards, I'm not an award person. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think about it so much. I think there's incredible performances that have, you know, rolled out. And also the thing for me about horror is that you look at some of, you know, the greatest filmmakers we've had over the last 30, 40, 50 years like so many of them earned their stripes in that world. Because when you make a horror movie, if you have a successful horror movie, it means you've written great characters, you've had a great scenario, but you've had to deliver atmospherics, you've had to deliver technique at the highest level, pull out all the stops with film craft and timing and tension. So I think the reward to me is actually in the audience engagement. Um, yeah. And if someone wants to hand me a piece of shiny metal at the end to say, well done, this was the best. I'm like, you know what? They're all great works and they're all done in kind of different ways. Yeah. You, you, um, I, and again, like editors love to get this juicy behind the scenes stories. So any, any anecdotes kind of to that degree that you can share, or maybe even by extension, like, did Bruce come to set and what was that experience like, uh, et cetera, I'll, you know, yeah, I course. think, you know, where I'm going with that. Yeah. I think, look, it, it, we shot the movie down in New Zealand during COVID. So it was actually kind of quite, we were kind of locked off in our own world with, with when I say with, during COVID with no COVID in New Zealand yeah, um, at all. So, you know, on the ground, it was me and Rob Tappert. And obviously always in the background was the support of, of Sam and Bruce who we needed to talk or discuss. And I have to say like the guys bought into my vision for the movie and wanted to, to back it. And they really essentially wanted to support it. That was, that's what they were trying to do. They were never trying to like get in my way because uh, they knew they wanted it to be something that was different. So with Bruce, I had a lot of engagement with Bruce when, um, when he came uh, over to Ireland and he came into some of the sound sessions with me and we had discussions and he brought me a beautiful set of like the old original Evil Dead audio files that they would have recorded like on Nagra back in the day. And we were able to incorporate some of those into the atmospherics of the movie and use some signature things. So it's like, it's all wrapped up inside the movie. And it was great to like, you know, I'm a fan of Bruce Campbell. He became a friend. He's a colleague also. Um, and we got to have a good time. I brought him to my hometown where I grew up. He met my family, brought him to my local pub. You know, we, we drank a Guinness and um, it was it was it was a really great engagement to have um, with him. I guess this probably doesn't bring you the tidbit story. So if you want to kind of probe or give me a bit more steer on like what like like mistakes, goofs, action, like what what kind of thing? How you're about, about? Uh, kids? You know, there's the old Hollywood mantra of uh, not working with kids or animals. And now, you know, you've. Uh, You've you've had one movie that's already been shot that heavily features a child, and now you yeah. have uh, this this little girl character. Um, how is that? And also, how do they deal with horror? Is it more, you know, humorous, or is it? Uh, is there moments where they're actually like, "Ooh, that's scary." 
Yeah, I've I've worked with with kids a lot through obviously with Evil Dead Rise. Um, we had a, you know a number of performers, a couple of performers that were under the age of eighteen. Um, and then back with the hole in the ground, I had a nine year old, and my my previous short film before that, Ghost Train, had three kids as well. Right. I I, I just always seem to bring kids into horror movies. I like the the reason. Um, I think is it's easy to reflect fear off them, um, and it often raises the stakes. But they're also interesting characters. I'm not a parent, but I have a bunch of nieces and nephews aged from like 12 up to 20. And they're all great people with interesting insights. So when I sat down to write it, I thought about my, all those characters are based on my family in some way, shape or form, some, some sense of who they are or how they behave. And in terms of them on set, like, especially with young Nell Fisher, um, like it's my responsibility to offer her protection. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want her to be scared. She had the best time. And the way I approach horror when working with a kid is I give them insight beforehand with the blessing of their parents and their parents' involvement and their guardians or their chaperones to like show them the process of how we make a movie. This is how we make slime. This is how we make blood. This is how we pull someone's limb off. And they get involved and I'd often bring them in for like special effects moments, let them push a button, let them, you know, let them spray some blood on somebody and make it feel a little bit like it's it's Halloween fun. Right. Um, and what's brilliant about Nell though was she was able to have the fun but man, could she get in the zone when she needed to? Like, she's nine years old. It's an incredible performance from my point of view. She was like a dream to work with. She's so authentic and so emotional when she needs to be, um, but never ever veers into a place that doesn't feel real, which which is what I really loved about working yeah. with her. I think Bruce, I was on the set of um, Ash vs. Evil Dead when it was in New Zealand. And um, yeah. I've, I've interacted a lot with Bruce and Sam throughout the years. And uh I think I asked him when they were doing Ash vs. Evil Dead about the amount of blood that they used during a shoot. So I will ask you, uh, do you do you have an approximation of how much blood um, you guys made use of? I have a pretty exact number, which I think I probably have put out there in the past. Being European, I'm going to use liters. You can do the conversion yourself. <laughs> so it's like we used... And I kind of kept a count of my physical effects lead. I kind of wanted to know because we needed so much blood in the movie um, and blood don't come cheap. There's a lot of work and planning around it. It's not just sitting right there. And um, so we had to create a lot and there was an industrial kitchen opened up to cook enough blood. So we used like six and a half thousand liters of blood during the movie. And that wouldn't be accounting for all of the on, on face blood and those little, like, you know, those those um, more, uh, the smaller details with, with the makeup department. This was like just utilizing blood within the film, within the story. Um, and the exciting part is that's all like, you know, that's movie blood. That's horror yeah. movie blood. It's not... There's no, there's no water with red food coloring. There's no like, oh, we use something this color and graded it to look like blood. Like that's sticky. It's icky. It's everywhere. Everybody got covered in it. Um, and we just used gallons and gallons and gallons and more and more as we went deeper into the story, just more yeah. blood. More blood. Uh, are we, I'm out of time. Eliza said I could run one more question by that's you fine, just dude. because yeah. um, I'm a big fan of folklore and folk tales and, and there's just this rich, cultural tapestry of Irish folk stories and, and kind of creepy stuff too. And there was yeah. this moment, there was some moments where I felt like, um, I don't know, I thought I was picking up on something with Alyssa's character where it seemed like she was kind of uh, either singing an Irish nursery rhyme yeah. or, and I just kind of want to get your impression about what is it about the Irish folk tales, nursery rhymes, folklore that makes it, charming but also just really creepy is there any element of it that you're like yeah we we have some creepy tales i think i think it's weighed to history a little bit like ireland is an old country it's yeah. also an island 
You know what I mean? It's at the end of the day, it's an island in the Atlantic Ocean, and islands often have their own mysticism. Um, and they're you know you're surrounded by water. There's taller tales told on and you know on 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 that island. And I think the combination of history and the natural storytelling instinct, I think of Irish people as well, and like the word of mouth storytelling that used to take place, has led to like lots of creepy uh, ideas and notions, and also just the use of those, I suppose, in like early religion as ways of understanding or comprehending or or creating repression you know like ireland has a dark past you know through religious aspects through um through many things like that so and i think you know it's it, i i love hearing you ask a question like this or say something like that because it's a mine that i'm ready to dig into more and you picked you picked up correctly like there are just you know, I'm a filmmaker with my own personality and I'm always going to bring, that's the thing I hope people enjoy the most is that you watch a movie, you want to see a movie where somebody brings their vision to it, their ideas. And there are just like little Celtic touches throughout the movie in terms of, you're, you're absolutely like, that is an Irish nursery rhyme that's been sung. Um, and it is super creepy. And it was the automatic place that I was going to go to for that. It's something that features in my previous work, The Hole in the Ground. There's also like, an you know, an old song that's sung in that movie in a way as well. Um, and there are other little touches like here and there throughout that film, even just the odd little touch in the Book of the Dead um, that has just like a slight little bit of of, of Celtic origin also. What, what was the name of the um, the nursery rhyme? You know what? You've got me stumped right okay, there. Sorry. It's OK. It, it was yeah. great because it just evokes the creepiness. And yeah. I, I, I love Ireland. I've been, you know, spent a lot of time there. So it's uh, it, it, it's actually it's, it's one of those ones that doesn't have it's got a few different names. Like it's it's kind of. There's this like, you know, it's it's almost not saying it's like Ring a Ring a Rosie, but it's like there's versions of. So it's actually like would be just known as like lullaby song. Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that type of thing. Just kind of evolves and um, morphs throughout yeah. the age as well. Yeah. And hey, look, I'm looking forward to seeing the other. I'm supposed to see Unwelcome, which is the Red Caps uh, oh, yes, horror movie yes, that's about yes. to come out, too. So oh, awesome. um, so I love it. I Give me more. I want to go weirder. I want to go better more into like the folk horror and get more out of the Irish folk horror as well. So I I hope you dig into that even deeper. It's it's coming soon. I've got a TV show in development that sticks its fingers in a bunch of areas of Irish folklore. So I'm hoping that's something that I can, I can bring to people in the next couple of years. Right on dude. Well, let's talk about it when it happens. Otherwise Lee, thank you, my friend. It was, it, it was a lot of fun. Lad, enjoyed the movie, dude, and I look forward to seeing it with a packed audience because it get it becomes a riot pretty quickly. Oh, I can, I really can't wait to bring back, and I've got a couple squeamish friends that I can't wait to bring with me. So that's awesome, that's dude. the joy of it. So thank you so much. <laughs> and that was Lee Cronin, director of Evil Dead Rise. Really great conversation, and I I just love again just the connective tissue of this film with the other Evil Dead movies and just how much love and how much thought he's put into this flick. It really, it shows. And um, and I, I definitely want you guys to be seeing this in theaters. Next up, we have Alyssa Sutherland, who plays Ellie. Alyssa Sutherland, previously, we've seen her on Vikings. She was, before that, she was a model and she goes through great pains literally and figuratively in Evil Dead Rise, and it seems like a real physical role for her. So let's hear from Alyssa Sutherland, who plays the mom of the kids in Evil Dead Rise, Ellie. Well, first off, I really enjoyed Evil Dead Rise. Well done on this film. I had a blast, and it was also a little unsettling because I was the only one in the theater watching it, which makes for a great experience. 
Uh, uh, it's so crazy. It's such a wild one. I got to see it, um, what, about a week or so ago now before I um, left to come to Australia. <laughs> I mean, I just, it's crazy. It just doesn't let up. Like, and it, and it, it was so long in between filming it to seeing it as well that, like, I had forgotten things. And, of course, I hadn't seen other parts of it that I wasn't in. And, um, yeah, it's a real experience yeah well this is i want to get your take on this from sort of the actor perspective because you essentially play two different characters you begin at this very kind of hip and caring mother and then this deadite monster that is still in the skin of the caring monster uh, or caring mother was it a bit of a satisfying actor's journey Oh my gosh, yes. I I can't believe I had the um opportunity to play it. I've I've wanted a role like this for a really long time and I'm it was uh just a thrill a minute on set, honestly. I loved creating the character and it was much more of a challenge for me because I've I haven't really played like a creature type thing, so to you know, you have that's an, a whole body Thing you have to encompass and you know just how does the deadite walk um that's it that's going to be a different movement to just thinking about a, another sort of normal straight character um and I I loved every minute of it I feel like I kind of do everything in this film um yeah it was wonderful it's a challenge for me watching a film where I'm trying to think about interview stuff and the when I'm going to talk to you while also being in the moment. But there was this, yeah. I forget which scene, but a moment where I was thinking, this is hard work. This is this is demanding, physically demanding work. Were there moments, scenes where you thought this movie might break my body? <laughs> No, <laughs> I didn't. Um, and I think um, Rob, Rob Taffet had sort of given us this whole disclaimer at the beginning of filming, like there's going to come a point and you're going to break. Um, but honestly, like I come from the world of modeling and um, I think I I have, I'm so used to having ridiculous things done hair and makeup wise. Um, I'm used to being out in the cold, wearing next to nothing. Like, I feel like we're so protected as actors. We've got unions taking care of us. The crew are all there behind us as well. Like, um, you know, it certainly wasn't comfortable <laughs> by any means, but I think for me, acting is kind of a welcome relief almost. Like, we, I had... Actually, it might have been a couple of weeks. We ended up shooting the film chronologically, which is an interesting fact because everything was purpose built for us. We didn't have to shoot by location. So we managed to shoot chronologically. And there were a good couple of weeks there that I was just drenched, soaking wet <laughs> just the whole time. But the crew is so wonderful. They're right standing by with hot water bottles. Like everyone's so aware of how uncomfortable it is for you that I feel like we were really well taken care of. Yeah. Was yeah. there a scene or a moment where you, where it was at least painful? I mean, I'm just I like, cause you were doing some pretty crazy contortions there. 
I, I know, but I'm actually, I, I'm a pretty resilient gal. Like I, <laughs> I don't, and I sort of feast on that. I thrive on the challenge of it. It's one of the things that I really like about acting. Um, what I will say is that I'm, I'm really happy to have had the demon role, um, to be able to terrorize everyone because my, um, the stuff that I had to film in the elevator, um, for me, being scared and having that in your nervous system, because to do it right, like you really want to feel scared and terrified. And that was probably the most exhausting day that I had. And I, it was sort of towards the beginning of filming. And I really thought, I was like, oh my gosh, poor Lily. Like she's going to have to do this the entire time. <laughs> um, and that was honestly like one of the hardest days for me was just having to be in that like fight or flight state. Whereas like, I just get to terrorize people for the rest of the film. I get to play and be wild and go all over the place. And as an actor, like that's such a gift. So Look, I'm I'm one of those actors. I'm so grateful because I've I've struggled. I know what it's like to not have jobs. So I'm always really happy to have a job and be on set and doing what I love. You have you're working alongside these kids as well, and there's some pretty scary, gory moments and some terrifying, great dialogue. For you, what was sort of the balance of working with these younger actors without sending them into real life therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we struck that balance. I hope so. <laughs> I hope I hope we managed to protect them. Certainly little Nell because, you know, she, she I think she was 10 when we were filming. Um and and we we did try to like have her come in while I was having uh makeup coming into the makeup trailer and watching that whole process so she could see the in-between and and the creation of all of it so that she wouldn't just um, see me all done up on a dark set. Um, so we, we'd really tried to take care of her. She's also just a remarkable young girl. I like talk about professional. <laughs> she was amazing. Um, and the others I think are sort of older enough that we we didn't have to protect them so much um but yeah little Nell we we certainly tried to <laughs> to make things a little easier for her because it is really crazy the stuff that happens it's like we were really naughty like that's how I felt after I saw it, it was like we did something really naughty by making this film yeah well, you're you were also filming in what looked like close quarters during uh, pandemic restrictions were still in place. Did you develop what felt a little bit like familial bonds with one another and and specifically a sisterly bond with Lily? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I love that girl. I'm actually going to see her this afternoon because um, we're both in Sydney right now. So we have plans to get together for a little happy hour <laughs> this afternoon. I can't wait to see her. Yeah. And that normally happens when you're on set, like pandemic or not. You spend so much time with one another that it really does feel like family. And the the struggle is having to leave and, you know, walk away from people that you've become so close with. Yeah. Yeah. 
What about any personal gross out moments during this? Because I, I had chatted with Lee and I was getting information about how much blood was used and whatnot. I, I imagine you're like sucking down blood. There's gross, like, yeah, personal gross out moments from filming this. Yeah, the worst thing was the vomiting. That for me, the vomit rig was by far the worst. Um, that was disgusting. <laughs> I were, I'm good to never have to do that again in my life. That was like, cause it's, it's like they, they hide this rod, this attachment that goes into your mouth and it shoots the vomit into your mouth. And then it, it like sort of bounces off this mouthpiece and comes back out. And the force of that coming into your mouth, it's just, it's foul. It's just disgusting. And I was like really gagging from it because uh, yeah and they they kept asking like is the flavor okay do you want a different flavor I'm like it's not the flavor it's just this whole thing is just disgusting <laughs> yeah no thank you I, I I that's not one that I would want to do I could put up with a lot though but well I hate that this is the follow-up question but I I saw on your Instagram that you appear to be quite the accomplished baker so was uh, there was there any deadite cakes or evil evil dead rise cakes that were made will there be no uh, i i want to do one it's just finding the time now um i'm i'm not sure my schedule is going to allow it because i tend to do fairly elaborate things and they're very time consuming i i would love to i would love to get one done for the release of the film um so i stay tuned i'm i'm hoping to get it done we'll see yeah, yeah. Your other work is really gorgeous. It's it's really oh, lovely. And well, yeah. I you also I I'm just kind of curious about relishing. You kind of touched on this before when you use the word feast, uh, ironically enough. This relishing being this antagonist, being the big bad. Talk about that a little bit. And then also you have so many quotable lines in here. Uh, what what is the what's the the favorite one that you really enjoyed chewing on oh that's a tough question um i'm gonna go back to your early one it was it was a real feast for me i think because in real life like i'm really quite a boring person like i <laughs> i'm fairly risk averse um i like to be really quite well behaved so it's it's a real, it was a real chance for me to just really break down any barrier and feel complete, completely free in a way that like, I'm just not in real life. Like I, I mean, I would never <laughs> terrorize someone psychologically. It's just not my MO. So to be able to have that kind of freedom and mess around and play like in a safe in way because everybody knows that that's what we're doing was just like it was wild and and I think because I tend to be like a little more buttoned up in real life I maybe have some repressed stuff going on that I was able to, <laughs> to kind of process and release um but I I mean when I tell you I had a good time I had I really had a good time doing it um as for quotable lines gosh um it's hard to choose and i mean this is credit to lee for what he wrote because um i love the tone of the film where it's scary 
but there are moments of like real dark humor that make me giggle and and I really get a kick out of it but to choose one I obviously the mummies with the maggots now is just like outrageous and I really thought about that one like okay what do you do with this because it would be so easy to overplay it and then it's not scary and um I think we kind of Lee and I and um Rommel Rommel Adam that one of the exec producers we were constantly having conversations about Ellie and um, we wanted to try to find different notes all the time so that one of the scariest things about her is actually her unpredictability. You kind of never really know what's going to happen. And um, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Oh, but going back to the mummies with the maggots now, it's just what is truly terrifying it's like if she's getting under their skin so we really focused on like more of sort of this psychopathic mind fuck with the kids which is just so wrong as well but um, yeah that line stands out and when i watched it there's a line right near the end when I say you know you really do look like mom um and that took me by surprise I think I'd kind of forgotten it and I had a bit of a giggle at that one um yeah well I I know we're wrapping up but if you'll permit me I'm just curious because you've used the word uh freeing and and I'm I'm familiar with your work from Vikings but I also know because you have the modeling background this is I'm curious it seems like the kind of role that Hollywood would so easily put you into a certain type because of your modeling background. And it's now you have this incredible role. We get to do body horror. You get to contort your face in incredible ways uh, and then just be drenched and gore and blood and not look like, you know, not look like a model. (laughs) So was it a liberating role in that way? Yeah, I've been begging for it. I really have. It's not It's not an easy thing. And like, you know, I get when it comes to casting, you have to fit a certain thing. But I think what I've struggled with is that my insides don't quite match my outsides for Hollywood. And the roles that I physically might be right for, the inside of me isn't quite like I'm a I am a bit of a weirdo and like when I was really young with my brother I used to do this bit where I'd like sort of pretend to have been dead and then I'd like resurrect and I I I would be like so you're the one that killed me and it never failed to get a laugh out of him I love doing it with him and I've always like I don't know I've had a darkness inside of me probably because of all of this repressed stuff <laughs> and and I finally had an outlet for it yeah I um hopefully people will see what I can do in this sense and and um it might open up some more stuff for me well, it's incredible. You did a great job. I know you have another interview. It was a true pleasure talking with you. And I hope we get to do it again in the future. But congratulations on the job. Really great thank film. So Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Alyssa's other one, who plays Mom Ellie and the Deadite counterpart who inhabits 
Ellie's uh, body and mind. And next up, we have Lily Sullivan, who plays Beth. Now, Beth is the sort of the proto-Ash. She's an estranged, she's Ellie's estranged sister. She's our Ash counterpart, our Ashley J. Williams, Bruce Campbell counterpart in this movie. And she has a lot to say about this role. So let us hear from Lily Sullivan. And let me just say, I, I did see the film, so... Yeah, I've seen the film. Yes, and it's really enjoyable. I, I got a kick out of it, and uh, I'm not only a fan of horror and this franchise, I just think overall it just stands really well. And I had already spoken to Alyssa. In fact, she left this interview to go hang out with you. And then, I'll go. Yeah, and I spoke with Lee as well. So, um, awesome. to actually, to kick things off, the... Alyssa, I, I had asked Alyssa, I'm like, her character is an interesting one. It's an interesting acting challenge because she essentially embodies two characters. She starts out mm-hmm. as this kind of like hip but loving mom. And then there's this deadite, this evil possessed creature. And I was kind of wondering if you think that Beth is similar as far as being almost a shift, two different characters. If she uh, has to adopt the role of a hero or if that's always a part of her do you view it as kind of two different roles yeah no there's definitely a um i feel like she's an anti-hero for me like she's definitely a runner i mean like lost in the washing machine of tour life lacks that sense of home people represent it but doesn't necessarily kind of stick to one place and doesn't necessarily find herself there for people um, and then is thrust into the most intense version of responsibility and care and both of them choosing two separate paths in life. Um, I, I, yeah, and I feel like one thing I did love about playing um, playing Beth was and I felt so scrappy and useless in a way as, as, as Lily trying to do certain scenes and deeply exhausted and like and lee was just like that's best like i don't want you to look like you know how to use any of these weapons like i want the mess i want the like the the real person um but yeah but i feel like there's definitely i mean the last the gear shift at the end of the movie i feel like i i'm full primal like i don't even know what that's that's not human anymore like i feel like they they, they mirror each other in a way like even as sisters like they're both I feel like especially in an Evil Dead film, you're pushed to the brink, the absolute brink where the animal, which is so fun to explore, I think, as an actor, it's like the boundaries of of um, of what's okay and what's not are completely smeared and gone, which is just awesome. You can just exercise out the most intense version of reality and nightmare that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that, that full primal... Uh, and I'm kind of forming this on the thought. I hadn't really thought or on the spot. I haven't really thought about it before, but how much of that is due to her own survival instinct versus this maternalistic nature, or or maybe she doesn't have a maternalistic nature, but this thing that is emerging both within, but also having to uh, protect uh, Cassie. Is that the origin of this primal? Totally. And I, and I think also, you know, even when you strip back the horror, you think of like just how families operate, you know what I mean? Or like how even just the human human body operates and then you add the horror and the terror, which is why I think Lee taking it Evil Dead home and putting it in that setting and giving you these 
situations that, you know, very much can happen and then, you know, turning them on their head and slipping a bit of LSD in there. Like, it's just, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, I always... Plays into it. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that last part. You said what? No, I was just saying, I think definitely all of those elements, that layering, which I think... I think, which was so wonderful with this script and so wonderful with how Lee plays with the rules of the world, but just the way he laces these, you know, complex female, powerful women who are totally flawed, which is great. It's a film that very much stands on its own and yet exists within this greater kind of universe. And we're now kind of seeing these connective tissues, this, uh, how it all it, it is connected. The... With that in mind, I hate asking comparison questions because your performance stands on its own. But how do you view Beth in relation to like an Ash or a Mia in the 2013 movie? And I'm sorry, this is the kind of thing that editors want to, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, once we started shooting, we just took the script on as the script. But then, I mean, once, I mean, being a fan of the franchise and being handed a chainsaw and a shotgun and also getting some bang one-liners and the film is laced with that humor, you know, I think more than the 2013, like, I feel like there's way more. It feels like bloody footprints from, you know, the previous film as opposed to the 2013 remake. Um, but like, I, I mean, as soon as you get given an iconic chainsaw, I'm like, I'm... Bruce Campbell, man, I'm Ash. I'm like, you know, totally that that a, a, a playfulness, that ridiculous absurdity. It's like I'm in the evil dead world. And I mean, Beth is her own character. And I think that's the beauty of how this franchise can move forward as it takes and plucks different people and puts them into this extreme um, wicked position. So I don't know. I mean, you can connect them or not connect them. I feel like the evil dead world is just expanding really i know you guys were filming this uh still with a with pandemic restrictions in place and uh, rob tapper was there on hand and i know um sam and bruce would dial in with rob and lee but did you have any chance to have a huddle with bruce about taking on this type of character no we didn't we didn't i also feel like a, a massive part of it was just wanting which you know discussing with lee where he's like go like go make your movie like we're give, giving you this it's like we're there for dailies we're there for edit like you know notes or things like that but like i don't know they were they weren't breathing down lee's neck because i think they had faith and trust and i think to kind of i don't know give space when you're making a movie it's like it's such a intense insular small like and collaborative intimate experience so we kind of just roll with that slash pandemic world was a nightmare. To even yeah. get New Zealand was a nightmare. Two weeks quarantine, 17,000 people waiting list. Like it was a mental, mental time to shoot. Yeah. But I understand that it was shot chronologically and this character, she develops as the movie goes on, this bond with the kids. Did that emerge in real life as well with your younger uh, co-stars? Totally. I mean, one thing that was wild was like the day that we realized we were in a horror movie. Like it starts off, as you would know, it's like it's in that domestic setting, that like familiar setting before like, you know, the ape creeps in. Um, and I just remember the day that it just got weird. And then from there, every day just got more and more absurd. The, the scenes that we were having to act out 
and then the carnage and the blood trail from every room because it was shot in that order and like even just for crew and for like yes for us actors it was just like almost playing arts and crafts in the most traumatic ridiculous cooked way but like everyone it was like painting really it was like this set was clean and pristine and then we shot an order and it just became it was like a piece of art in itself is, is but there so a, much yeah is, I'm, i would imagine like is there a moment yeah. or scene or day where you're looking around and either you're covered in blood or you're seeing blood all over the place and it's entirely grotesque but also like that trippy moment of like this this is it this is the job this is wild what what was that like surreal moment i think there'd be like two there'd be like the first moment where you just see well there's been loads of murder and you come on set and it's like you're in csi like crime scene like i remember just standing there and being like so today miss you know like you know just that absurdness of just seeing all the like people laying on the floor pretending to be dead and you're just like cool this is real um and then the other one would have to be when they're about to drop a ton of blood from a slippery slide, like you're coming out of an elevator and harnessed and being smacked against the wall, like, and just that situation where you're with your crew and the people who have built this, like, random slide on this scaffolding to burst out of, like, the elevator doors are just like, this is my job and this is reality and it's awesome and it's goddamn nuts i want to get a sense about working with lee uh Mm. because i i'm curious like was there a a moment that you recall where he said something or there was a, a bit of direction or maybe a quiet moment or whatever where you were watching him and you're like this is the right guy for this job this is the guy that he's he's not only are in this place his 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 spot here but he's gonna really bring this on home like that Mm -hmm. confidence inducing moment i think one i mean lee's one of my favorite directors i've worked with thus far because of his i think also being a writer director his specificity his love for the world but then his confidence about moving it forward was just like so much fun as an actor to be filled with that that confidence and to kind of let the other films go and just have fun and know that he was carrying all of those things, I think, for the, for the franchise and you could just sort of let it go. But like, I mean, you've seen the movie, it's so relentless. I felt like there was endless moments where like I would be in such a mania, I think because of having to pretend like I'm about to die for three months. Like sometimes I like, couldn't hear or think straight because I would just be spinning because the body just is having that chemical release and you don't know the difference but he was always he always had the ability to make it playful but also like he was super super um super focused but I think actually the one moment that I knew he was uh, this just came to me was like the beginning of the movie before it was one point I'm sitting on the bed and um, Ellie has passed away and I'm coming to terms with her dead body um, and losing my sister. And there were all these elements of suspense that you have to play where it's like, it's such a fine balance as an actor. It's the camera angles, it's the dolly moving. It's like, you know, you're missing the sound design. As the actor, you're just staring, you're trying to stay in this, this fixated state of grief and loss. 
but you're not feeling the tempo or the rhythm of what would be in the edit, you know, and, and, and getting the jump scares and it becomes like a dance, but no one had ever taught me. I'd never been on a horror. I'd never been on like a full thriller at this point. And I just said to Lee, I'm like, I need, I need the rhythm. Like I need something. I need to know beats of movement. Otherwise I feel like I'm just kind of in my head too much thinking about where the camera is when you need me to jump. It's like, because it's all in one shot or something like that. And he just pulled out a stick, this classic Irishman, and his aluminium bottle. And he played the rhythm of like the camera operating. And then when I would be scared, he would smack it. So he was actually conducting like puppeteering almost with the more, the smaller beginning intimate scenes. By the end, it became a well-oiled machine. But like I remember feeling nervous about creating suspense for viewers. Like I was on the outer. And I just, we called it the performance probe. <laughs> I like that. As, yeah, it was so funny, but it was brilliant. Like because it created, I could feel the t -t 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 -t, like, and it was an ominous sound, and it it created that you know, this is on the bed, and it's it becomes this really beautiful symbiotic dance, which horror I think is because audiences want to feel the fear and and they want to pull it apart when they go into cinemas because they you're there to scare them, so it's an automatic reaction to judge. So it was really nice to just let go and create that dance yeah it, it's interesting to me that as as i mentioned like i know Alyssa and you have continued to hang out and it's really easy to do these jobs and then that was fun see you later uh you know and you move on what was it about working with Alyssa and the kind of sisterly bond that had to be on screen that then carried off to off screen and in personal mm -hmm. life Ah, oh, the camaraderie, the having each other's backs, the like, there's nothing was too far. You know, we were both in such an extreme state of being and it's humiliating acting sometimes. And then you have to pretend you're about to die or you're about to like maul someone's face off. It's like, it's the absurdity. And I think one thing that was so awesome was just how much we were like, this is our like, this is our like pitch. You know, we're playing on this field and this is our territory and let's just like build each other up and there's no nothing is too weird. Like, let's go there, which was just the best. And then off, off, you know, Friday night beers at the trucks was always a good time on our set. I, I, I know we're one on their eyelids, like, yeah. you know, all the crew just like, <laughs> well, well, actually, yeah. Was there, cause I know, I know, uh, stage blood fake blood does not taste good and then there's other stuff and Alyssa was talking about the the vomit that she had to like that was like an actual almost vomit inducing moment was there a moment where the gross out uh effects were actually very real where you're like I might yak at this I this might bring me to a real place yeah I think the thing about Evil Dead as well it's like and and it's the in-house camera tricks is the like strong game of prosthetics and like I mean the end of this movie I remember getting to the end of the movie and then facing nothing uh the entity and I was just like I could probably vomit right now like in that regard of just physically looking at it but then there were there were points where like during the last sequence in the film where I was just covered in this blood, I was in the elevator filled with dumped into a tank that fills and it spills everywhere. We were in there for about five hours. This blood was like uh, quite old because it had to be brewed and made and kept. It's warm and you're strapped with 30 kilos and a nine-year-old. And I just remember feeling so nauseated and claustrophobic 
and like you know it's filling up to here and it was like everything in your instinct is to just not want that to be a thing but um but yeah I'm trying to think of anything else that was just like I mean, it was really hilarious watching everyone go through the process where you'd just be like, everyone morph into entities it was pretty amazing. I mean, me and me and Nell didn't have that. We were just there to be terrified and tortured by them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything else apart from that. Well, I don't think it's uh, a spoiler and we can cut it if so, but at the end you, um, you do get to utter you're covered in blood, you're wearing the blue shirt, you got the shotgun, the boomstick, and you are able to utter, get some. At this moment, having lived in this world, shooting chronologically, yeah. was that acting for you at that moment, or did you truly embody the badass hero taking out the trash? I think at that point when I said that line, I was so deeply exhausted, and we were literally, it was one of the last days on set, and it was me just saying, like, I feel like when I said that line, it was almost being like, I'm badass, but I'm also willing to just die for at least this situation. Like, come and get me. Like, I didn't give a fuck anymore. Like, just that kind of, like, rock and roll edge of ultimate sacrifice and not giving a shit anymore. And, like, I think even just saying a line like that that feels so ash, it was just, like, my way of doing it, it was just, like get me out of this evil dead film i don't give a fuck anymore let's go like you know it was finding that you have to find those parallels you know unless i'm gonna hit a groovy moment which i was like i've always got to hone it back to truth for me you know which i think this film does it plays with you it taunts you it you know will make you laugh but i think it's anchored down pretty hard yeah uh yeah I know we're uh, running out of time. DJ, do I have time for one more? Oh. Yeah, go for it. Just, okay. Yeah, okay. I do. Okay. I never need to have this anyway. So oh, okay, good. great. All right, thank you. Well, good, because like what I'm excited about, and South by Southwest is going to be exciting for you because you've got this movie, you also have Monolith. And yeah. I, so I guess the kind of the, the two part, which is a journalistic cheat, the, the two part is... Talk a little bit about bringing both of these movies to South by and from the professional perspective, like how, how you're feeling about this, but also my understanding, not having seen Monolith is it's uh, it involves a potential alien component, mm. you know, go with that. And do you believe in aliens? So. <laughs> I mean, for me, I was so stoked. Like uh, Monolith is an experimental piece. We shot it in three weeks on a micro budget. Um, it was more like it was a palate cleanser, I think, after doing Evil Dead. Like, I wanted to do something that would, you know, instead of full physical, more dialogue-driven, character-driven. And also, I'm the only actor on screen. There's no one else in the movie for an hour and a half, which is wild. But, yeah, I mean, it deals with the online platform of, like, creating podcasts and how many voices are out there and the idea of um, spreading misinformation. Uh realm of like privilege realm of just like I don't know people making noise for the sake of it and then the sci-fi element kind of slices those themes in half spins it on its head and kind of I don't know brings utter chaos which is it was it was a wild shoot to film compared to Evil Dead in its own way 
um, we also pretty much shot in chronological order for that as well. So it's like these two films where like you just almost just vomited out, like you're just in a free fall. So to have two films at South by Southwest and two completely different performances um, anchored in different ways, um, it's just such a wild experience. It's like, yeah, I can't, I can't believe it really. It's, um, it's such a wonderful opportunity and South by Southwest just giving like, you know, pieces like this and cinema like this an opportunity to be on a larger platform. It's so good. Anything out there? You think anything's out there? Do I think anything's out there? Out there yeah, out there, I do. I definitely do. I think it'd be so boring to think that we're the only thing out there. It's also narcissistic, isn't it? Yeah. No, we're the only divine creature. You're like, there's definitely far more divine creatures out there than us. Hey man, like uh it's I I as it happens, my day job is hosting uh paranormal TV shows and talking about all this weird shit. So like Hell yes. Yeah, so I like and when the monolith stuff was happening in 2020, like it was interesting watching the misinformation versus like the actually yeah. weird kind of information and all of it come together. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I hope you see the movie. It's um it's a, a quick one, but it's in the last 25 minutes, it just spins itself out of control, which is good. Right on. Well, hopefully we'll get you uh, for an interview out uh, on camera out at South by and oh, yeah. talk about both of these things. And um, love it. This is just the warm up. How good. Yeah. Meanwhile, look, I really appreciate your time. And I also just really enjoyed your performance in Evil Dead Rise. It's it is such a rich character. And I really think you guys all together did a nice job of really adding a chapter, but also something that just holds together on its own as a funny freaky gross uh horror movie so i dig it thanks aaron uh, i look forward to meeting you in person soon and there you have it lee cronin Alyssa sutherland and lily sullivan from evil dead rise opening on april 21st and i really 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 cannot emphasize enough how you need to see this film in theaters surrounded by other people there are just so many moments i mentioned in the interview with lee about this eyeball moment oh it gets to me but you really need to see it with other people and the cheese grater scene and the oh there's a thing with the tongue oh there's a lot happening here so yes so see it in theaters and then check back on friday for a follow-up with lee cronin as we have opening dead for evil dead rise opening dead did i say opening day or opening dead i think i said opening dead opening day of evil dead rise which is on april 21st in the meantime this has been talking strange if you have stories you'd like to share of the strange and unusual email us at talking strange at denofgeek.com i'm aaron sagers and until next time be kind stay spooky and keep it weird Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers 
on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.